Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. All right, so listen, if it's your first time here, let me just give you a little, little back run or whatever. We're in the middle of a series right now called Christian vs. Disciple. And so when you hear the term Christian vs. Disciple, you might be thinking in your head, you might like, yo, why in the world would be, there be a Christian versus a disciple? Like, what actually is that? And so one of the things we're actually pushing at is this idea that um, in cultural Christianity in America, Christianity has kind of turned into this thing that actually doesn't always look like the scriptures, Right? And it's problematic because looking at I'm I'm a I'm a pastor, but I'm looking at Facebook and I'm like, what's this funniness going on, right? Somebody hit me with something this morning. I'm like, and they and they they're a pastor, you know what I'm saying? And they were trying to come at me about something. I'm just like, ah, I don't know, homie. So it's getting weird, right? So I think that um, there's a need for us to really, really. Look deeply in the scripture, not proclaim just our convictions, because our convictions could, could, could be off, but to look deeply into the gospel and, 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 and try to kill this gray area and say what is what, right? It's needed for me as a pastor. It's needed for you as a believer. So you can wake up every day and know where you're standing like, God, what does it look like to follow you in spirit and truth, right? Instead of, instead of what Facebook gospel looks like, because there's a million things coming from all different angles. Does anybody else feel that in the world? Y'all know where I'm coming from? I just want to make sure we're not crazy. So when we came up with the title, Christian versus Disciple, we're really kind of jabbing at the idea of cultural Christianity, right? The idea of cultural Christianity versus being a disciple, a follower of Christ. Not a person who kind of, a person who says, Lord, what is your will and what does it look like for me to actually follow you, right? A person who actually defends the truth of the gospel and looks to actually put themselves in it and walk in it, Right? It's not a virtue of our own. It's something that God graces us to do. But when it comes to declaring the word, we need to know that this is what we're supposed to do. This is what the application of being a Christian looks like, is being a disciple, right? In the gospel that says that Christ died for our sins, right? That God's wrath actually was put on Christ Jesus and us sinners receive his righteous resume even that's being muddied up, right? We look inside of the Bible, and we see Paul contending. Hey, y'all hit the clock for me in the back. We look inside of the Bible, and we see where Paul is having the same conversation thousands of years ago. He's, he, he's in the middle of Christian versus disciple then. He has the super apostles, everybody flexing, whatever. Uh, you know, they didn't have no Bentleys then, but they rolling up on their new horses or whatever. And I don't know what it looked like to floss back then, but I guess their little carriage had like gold on it or something, or maybe spinner wheels or whatever. I don't know what they had on their chariot. But Paul is like, yo, he's telling his people, yo, watch these people. They ain't really about that life. They're not really disciples of Christ. They're playing games with you, right? So he's being serious. He's on that Christian versus disciple thing. He is preaching the gospel and he's making people know we are saved by grace and not by works. You can't earn this salvation. This is, this is detrimental. There's no gray area that can exist in this conversation. You are saved by grace, by the goodness of God, by a work that he perpetuates into your life, right? Because if you think you're saving yourself, I ain't even going to get there. You get where I'm coming from. But he's saying all through the word, it's by grace and not by works, right? 
So this week I had a conversation um, at some people at my house working. And so we, we, got, we got this one guy, whatever, one of his older family members comes through. And um, good dude, really good people. And so we start talking about, well, he finds out I'm a pastor, which is always a weird experience. I don't know. But people like, you know, they'd be like, man, just cursing, whatever. They'd be like, oh, oh you're a pastor. Man, you know what? The Lord spoke to me this morning. I'd be like, <laughs> I'm like, brother, cut it out, man. Ain't nobody judging you. Like, relax, for real. It's hard for me to have some real friendships. You don't even understand. People just start going crazy. Like, I just want to hang out with you and just, just meditate in the Word. I'm like, shut up. No, you don't. <laughs> All right? You wanted to get a beer. Just ask, man. Stop playing games or whatever, right? Stop playing games. Nobody's judging you. All right. So, damn, I mentioned beer. I got some claps. That's what I got. That's what I got to do up in. All right. So, he's like, beer, praise the Lord. All right. So, but anyway, I'm, so I'm talking to this guy's family member, and he starts talking to me, and he's just like, you know, yeah, man, you know, I just want to get right. Like, you know what I'm saying? I want to get, I want to get right. And, uh, you know, I just got some things I need to straighten up, and I'm listening to him, and I'm like, no, you don't. He's like, well, you, you know, what do you mean, pastor? Because now I'm, now I'm pastor all of a sudden. And I'm like, you ain't got nothing you need to straighten up. I'm like, you need to trust Jesus Christ. And he's like, well, you know, what do you mean, you know? And so I'm starting talking to him, and he's telling me, he's like, yo, he's saying his pastor wants him to be his armor bearer. And so, like, he's in the church, but he never heard the gospel. And so, y'all know me, my favorite thing to pull out, I pull out, you know, the story in John about the Pharisee. And I'm like, yo, you know, the Pharisee, I'm telling him the whole story, right? Talking his ear off, Lana's standing right there, like, rooting me on, like, get it, lay it out. And so I say, I say, yeah, you know, the Pharisee comes in. And he, and, he, and he goes before the Lord, and he's like, thank you, God, I get my tithes, I do all of this or whatever. And the guy, when he's listening, he's like, yeah, man, like that man's righteous. And I'm like, nah, actually the tax collector comes in, and he says, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And God said he was righteous. And he was just like, what do you mean? I was like, see, that's what I'm trying to tell you. You think my man's work is what gives him favor with the Lord. I said, what I'm telling you is that God saves by his grace shown through us through Jesus Christ. You get where I'm coming from? So there's a problem when this is like, this is very normative in our society. It's very normative in our society. And it's not about, yo, we need to straighten it out because we need to prove that we're right. We need to straighten out because people's souls are going to be lost if it's not straightened out. Do you get where I'm coming from? We're playing with eternal stuff. These are weighty, weighty matters. There's nothing to be nonchalant about. So I just walked him through it. But he literally was acting like he never heard anything I ever said in his whole life. Which is why we're doing Christian versus disciple, right? So today's topic is suffering versus complaining. So we're doing Christian versus disciple is the overall umbrella we're under. But we keep doing these things. We're just pitting certain things that um, I think just need clarity for us as believers. Like that are detrimental to our walk that we need to not have gray areas with. So one of those things is, is suffering versus complaining, right? Who doesn't do it? Who doesn't complain? I don't like suffering either, right? So, but we're talking about that. It's more than getting your attitude right. It's about the glorious mission we have been called into in Christ and how your resoluteness on one side or the other either propels the kingdom or drags it down, Right? So we don't want to be cultural Christians. We want to be disciples, followers of Christ, right? We want to hold to God's word, right? So what I'm telling you is that this nook of cultural Christianity, it's a dangerous place for us to be at. It's a dangerous place for us to be at because it's very easy for us to kind of go, like when, when, when 
when, when this kind of fake thing becomes normative for us, it becomes kind of our safe place when it gets hard to kind of duck into it. And we're neither kind of hot or cold. We're neither hot or cold. We're kind of in this gray area or whatever where it's like, yo, homie, you ride or die or you like run every time it kind of gets hard. Which one are we going to be at, right? Which that's natural for us as human beings. When it gets hard, sometimes I'm like, brother, I need a break or whatever the case may be. It makes logical sense. But at the same time, when it comes to waking up every day as a believer and going, God, I want to follow you and lead into you more. Not because I'm trying to earn it, but because I realize what you've done for me on the cross. So what does it look like for me to go after you? We need to know very clearly what that actually looks like, right? Because if we know it clearly, then we'll perpetuate, you know what I'm saying? We'll be emboldened in it. Because number one, we'll have clarity on it. And everything that we know that we have clarity concerning Christ and the gospel and what it calls us to is he strengthens us in it, right? He blesses us. He's there with us in it, right? I remember one time I was at a conference. I told you all this before, not too long ago. And I was taking questions in the front. And one of the girls said, man, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm getting beat up. I feel like I'm getting, I feel like a punching bag. Like, you know, like I'm trying to do ministry and it's so hard. And I literally just feel like a punching bag. And then my response was, I said, well, you know, the Bible says you're sharing suffering as a good soldier of Christ. I go, you're actually supposed to be suffering. So I'm like, yeah, you actually are punching back for God's glory. So I'm like, that changes everything, you know, because it's like, oh, dad, I'm getting beat up right for the glory of the Lord. All of a sudden, when you know and you have clarity, you can move in it a little bit different. You get where I'm coming from? Like, you know, you ever go bust open an Ikea package or whatever, and you like trying to get through this joint, whatever, everything's written in like half German and all that, and you got like wrenches you've never seen in your life. My Ikea people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so we're going to go to James 5 real quick, because we're talking about suffering and we're talking about complaining, but there's, some, there's other things that to even understand this conversation and, and, and to have the weight of it. I think you need to understand certain things like uh, how eternity plays in it, right? How the big story plays into it. So I'm going to use this verse I'm about to jump into, even though I'm going to get long-winded on it, as somewhat of an as a, of a opening statement for what, what the rest of what I'm going to preach, right? So James 5, 7, let me read this to you, right? So it says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand, right? I'm going to stop right there. Last week, Pastor Jeremy did now verse eternity, right? And one of the things he was talking about in our series was he was talking about how now, when we as believers are stuck in now, now perpetuates selfishness, greed, me, me, me syndrome, all type of stuff or whatever, right? But when we think about eternity and you live with, a, with eternity in mind, it changes the way you function all together, right? So I'm going to give you little, my little silly scenarios or whatever you might think of, right? So like even when it comes to like something like your kids or whatever having to use the restroom, right? I tell my kids, they be like, yo, daddy, I need to run in the gas station. You know what I'm saying? I got to use the restroom. I'm like, listen, homie. If you sit on that toilet in that restroom, brother, it ain't going to work out well for you. <laughs> but we're going to be home in two minutes. All of a sudden, where they could not take it anymore, they're like, okay, I can endure. Because they have a perspective that has a little bit more distance. You get it? I know, I know my stories are silly, but y'all get where I'm coming from. I'm a simple man. Work with me, all right? 
So, like, like, so look at this. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He's building expectation, right? He's looking towards eternity. He's looking when God is going to redeem everything. The way he sees eternity, the way he sees God's redemptive work and the big story, how God is going to bring justice to everything that's broken and foul. The way that they, they're, they're humans too. They're looking at injustice happen every day. They're being stepped on, trampled on, and everything else. But the eternal perspective is having a whole lot of impact on it right now. You get where I'm coming from? If I don't believe there's no eternal perspective, if you step on me, I'm knocking you out. Unless there's something grander and bigger in the picture. Like, perhaps I need to let you slap me a little bit, and maybe that even may open up a conversation. That I may even be able to lead you to Christ, because we may talk about how you smacked me, and it may hurt your heart one day. And I, Do you get where I'm coming from? It's not silly to think like that. That in the, that, let me just keep going. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. He's doing the same thing I just did with the kids using the restroom. Mine was a little better, but you can deal with that one if you want to. Whatever, right? But 8 says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When he says establish your hearts, what he's talking about is get your hearts actually ready. Prepare. Live like you know the Lord is actually coming, right? And it's not saying, it's not talking about, this is what people, this is what I used to always hear. You better act right because the big bad God is coming, like the big bad wolf is coming. He's talking to believers. He, this, like establishing your heart is a joyous work unto the Lord, right? Because if, if we're children of God, let me give you an example like this right here. The prodigal son, right? You have the prodigal son and the prodigal son is out slumming, living in pig's mess. And he has squandered every single thing that his father has given him. His whole inheritance, everything. Y'all get where I'm coming from? He squandered it. But then he gets the idea to come home to his father, right? So he starts this process of drawing near to his father, making his way home. And in the distance, he's like, y'all see somebody. I don't know if that's my father. But he keeps going. It's like, yo, it looks like my father. And then he keeps going, and he's like, he has something in his hand. I'm guessing he has a belt or something. Or he has something he wants to clobber me with for being so reckless and crazy, right? But he's like, nevertheless, I'm headed back home. Even if his intentions aren't really all the way right, maybe about saving himself, whatever it is. But nevertheless, the father's just happy to see him coming. But as he gets closer, he actually sees the father's actually smiling. The father actually got, you know what I'm saying, some blessings in his hands like, homie, I've been looking for you. You get where I'm coming from? The reason I'm telling you that is because when it's talking about establishing your heart, you need to understand it correctly. Our father is drawing us near. He, 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 he. He wants us, he loves us, he rejoices over us. He's looking towards that day just, just as much as we should be, right? So, like, I, I just want to make sure prospectively you get it. It's not that the big bad wolf is coming. It's that daddy, good daddy, our, our father who loves us, that sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, is coming home. And when he comes home, everything going to be right. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's just a huge point you got to know. But he says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand, right? So we look forward to what's coming. It has an impact on the now, right? It has an impact on the now. 
It has everything to do with how we function right now, right? My back hurts me so bad, but one day I'm going to get a new body. People always be like, yo, Jay, how you keep moving on? Like, yo, you just having surgeries all the time? I'm like, homie, one day I'm going to get a new body. That's how I'm waking up. That's because I'm going to get a new body, right? And then there's this other thing, too, where I got this flesh on me. And it's sinful and it's so wretched. So sometimes I wake up in the morning and I have a hard time just dealing with myself. But eternity coming. And I'm going to get a new body. You get where I'm coming from? It has an impact on my right now. It has an impact on my disappointments. It has a way of actually shutting down condemnation when it whispers in my ear and go, you suck. And that was horrible how you just talked to your wife. And when I can't function no more because I'm like, God. That was terrible. Eternity. Eternity. I get to go apologize and I get to do it out of faith for what God is doing in the long story. That he's not done. Do you get where I'm coming from? That this ain't the end all. That is the most gangster thing ever for us as believers. That we have this, this thing of eternity that has weight on our right now in a real and tangible way, right? So verse 9 says, do not grumble, which is a form of complaining. It says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful, right? So verse 9 gives us an imperative about complaining against specifically against one another, and then it once again appoints us to eternity, right? It, to the, to, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Once again, you can take this in a very bad light, but when you care about what the judge thinks, it's different. Do you get where I'm coming from? You get where I'm coming from? So my kids don't have to worry about stepping on daddy's toes unless they don't care about stepping on daddy's toes. Do you get where I'm coming from? It's a very big difference. I am their judge in the now. But I don't want bad things for them. I'm concerned about them caring about what I care about is right in our home. That's a very different scenario. You get where I'm coming from? So you have to read this as a son. You don't want to read it as an orphan. You have to read it as a son because you've been adopted. All right? And he says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast, right? So he points to the testaments, to the testimony of other servants, right? Well, why does it do that? Because our suffering seems crazy in this world, and, and to this world, and the rushing current of carnality is real for all of us, right? So this, 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 this thing that's going on in this world we live in, it's nuts. It seems nuts that we would actually not grumble against somebody else. It seems crazy that we would not complain when it gets to be too much. It's just simply what people do. It's just what people do. But here he is right here, whatever, telling us don't complain, and then he's pointing us to this eternal perspective, and look at the example. Look at the people who got the prize. Look at the people who walked the walk and walked it out. You get where I'm coming from? So he's trying to paint a picture for us, right? Because he needs you to be 
looking into this well because you're going to need the encouragement to keep moving forward. You know, I just, this, this uh, was it last week or the week before, I was in Atlanta, and we went to, we were at um, Morehouse, Spelman, Clark University, and Morehouse has a vault with 13,000 artifacts from Martin Luther King, and they brought out some of them, and they let us look at it. And I just walked away with my mind blown, because um, there's a couple things that I saw. Number one, I always thought like Martin Luther King was like, you know, like this crazy, like just scholar kind of within himself. But I was looking at his report cards, and, and, and his grades weren't that great in college or anything, right? And so I was looking at his stuff, and then I got to see y'all, like, I mean, he was ripping up pieces of paper, writing on them nonstop. And I'm reading the stuff he's writing. And the more I kind of looked at his stuff, I didn't see Superman. I saw this man with this weighty calling on this life, who kind of like in this this heavy, frantic place was just writing nonstop because I have to keep this mission and this war close that I'm in. And God, I need you to stay ever close to me. But somewhere in the process of looking at this stuff and hearing this story, you know, these firsthand accounts with people that were actually there with them, man, I was like, man, we, we, we've, we've, we've done somewhat of injustice making this so much about the man. There is a way bigger picture here, right? said he had 30 death threats a day. 30 death threats a day. I'm reading this letter from Malcolm X to, to, to him, the actual letter. And Malcolm X is like, yo, man, I get all this peaceful stuff you're on. But, yo, these people out here trying to blow our heads off. I got some gangsters with me. Let's roll. Stop playing games, Martin. And I'm, like, thinking to myself, like, the torment he's enduring trying to hold this ground of being peaceful. Then, the, then, then, then his speech, his actual speech that he gave after the four black girls were blown up in the church, at the end of the speech, he ends it by saying, we must keep, we must, um, keep bitterness out of our hearts towards white people, and we must believe that God can change their hearts by faith. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't care who you are. You blow up four girls in the church. We ain't talking about no peace treaties and reconciliation and all that. Not at that moment. But just what I saw was, man, this is the power of God actually working through a, a regular man who's actually hijacking his heart. Like he's actually a canvas. God is actually using him to bring about something. Do you get where I'm coming from? With clay in God's hands. With clay in God's hands. That's what I just saw about him. I don't know your thoughts on him. But that was good for me to see because I feel super stupid sometimes. And I didn't want to see a hero. I wanted to see God. And that's what I saw, right? Philippians 2, let me read this to you, right? It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, listen to this right here. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our complaints or our willingness to suffer for his glory have everything to do with whether or not we believe we are truly the potters and whether we deem the potter capable. 
get where I'm coming from? That scripture says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Before I get into all the complaining and the suffering stuff, it's so necessary that you even approach the conversation with this idea that I'm actually clay in the potter's hands, right? Like when, I, when, I, when the Bible talks about you dying to yourself to live in Christ, it's talking about you actually foregoing making your own awesome story, right? And we all contend with that. I got flesh like everybody else, right? But this is what it's calling us to, where it's like we actually bring an end to the old us and the new us lives through Christ and we actually become clay in his hand and he starts molding this story, right? So where I'm going to take you at quickly in a second is he takes us into suffering. That is a part of the story. It's a part of the story. I want you, I'm hoping at the end of this that you have a resoluteness in that, that you're like, this is what it is. And you feel fit to go to war. You feel like, man, a punch, being a punching bag is a part of the story. I'm going to take my punch as well because I'm going to trust God in this long story, right? John 3 says this right here. It says, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only son, that whoever, believe, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But whosoever does not believe is condemned already. Excuse me, I think I just skipped something. All right, hold on. Not perish, but have eternal life. There he goes. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whosoever believes him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. We usually read the scripture. John 3.16. That's that scripture. And everybody's like, yo, I believe. But then we stop really short. We stop right there. We're like, yo, I believe. And we think that's like, yo, that's our pass into the country club and we're good with it, right? But let, let, I'm going to keep on reading. I'm going to keep on reading. I'm going to start at 18. I want you to listen to the words really clearly. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hate the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. What this last part is saying is that we believe. And in James, we see where James keeps saying, hey, we are saved by faith and we work, right? Paul says we are saved by grace, not by our works. I don't want to get my twisted because I've had people come ask me questions after sermons. We are saved by grace, but when you're saved by grace, it perpetuates work, right? Right? It perpetuates work. So if I save your, one of your kids or something like that or do some heroic act, you may come over and say, I want to work for you for free to serve you. It's out of your gratefulness, right? So you experience my grace or my mercy or whatever, and then you work for it. And then you say, in return, I want to work. God, what's happening in Scripture is saying when you have seen and when you believe and you truly know him, it does perpetuate this work. It does say Father, what can I do as your servant, right? I've seen you, and I've seen that you're good. I'm your servant. 
And a part of being his servant involves walking in the light. This is where we get to this Christian versus disciple thing being an issue. Because people like to go around and say they believe, but they actually run away from the light. So they're like, I believe, I'm perfect and good, I'm sin free, I don't do anything else at all. It's a lie. Our sanctification involves us constantly walking into the light. And as we are walking into the light, our sins are being exposed more and more. And as we continue to walk in the light, what the scripture is saying, so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God, as we walk in the light, we're declaring that God is true and we are liars. We're actually worshiping him when we're following him in humility. He's being lifted up in it. But when we stop that, that means we've now started to depend on his righteousness, all right? There's only one truth, and it's what God says it is, and everything else is a lie. So life is about discovering what that lie is and discovering his truth. But when you stop saying that that's not the terms we're working in, you start making room for something else to be truth, which becomes idolatry. So I just want to make this point when we, as I get a little bit more into complaining and everything else, it's important to know these things and have this disposition in the whole conversation, because if you don't, we're just playing games. We're just playing games. It involves walking in the light. And it's great for us as believers. We're allowed to walk in the light because we're, we're children. We're his children. He loves us. I love it when my kids come and admit stuff to me. I'm like, man, that's beautiful. I love when they go, hey, Dad, I got to tell you something. I got in trouble at school today. I know I shouldn't have done this or whatever. I'm like, that's so beautiful. Let's talk about it. I get to walk with them in it. What, who, who doesn't rejoice in that? My problem is, is when they lie. Problem when they hide it. Problem is when everybody's passing me their, their you know what I'm saying, their, their progress reports, and you know what I'm saying, I got one of them, you like, oh, they're just chilling. I'm like, yo, where's yours? They're like, I had, well, had, had see, when I was on the butt, they had opened up the window. It, it's gone. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about, yo? What's we talking about? You know what I mean? So... Our works are not ours, they're God's, right? The circumstances surrounding the matters are orchestrated by him for his glory alone, right? Proverbs 3 says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It's this thing where we say, yo, God, I'm, I'm the clay. You're the potter. These circumstances are built. To, like, when I, when I understand God's sovereignty and where he sits in the story, I realize he got all the bases covered. Even when it looks like I'm in turmoil, he has it all covered. You get where I'm coming from? Our inclination is that it's too much, that we're going to die. That's the fear that's always rushing in on us, that God can't handle whatever situation you have in front of you. And it's actually not the truth. Yesterday, it's a young man I know, whatever, that he... I believe he has a calling on his life. I really do, right? And so um, he's just full of the zeal of the Lord. And, 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 then, <laughs> and he's kind of set off on his journey to kind of go pursue whatever that may look like. And yesterday I get a text from him. I'm not going to say it because he cursed in it. And it must be serious because he usually, I've never heard him curse before. And he, was, and he just said, blankety blank is hard. Like, you know, like it just says something like that, right? And I was like. And I was like, yes, it is. And then his next post was, his next thing was, he goes, how in the world have you been the pastor of a church so long? And I said, 
I said, only God. I said, and that's, and if you're walking in this thing right, that's supposed to be your answer. I go, this, when, when you're following Christ, when you follow him as a disciple, it doesn't leave room for you to tell your awesome story about yourself. It'll leave you on your floor. Then it'll leave you with the testimony how God came through. But when you tell a story, you ain't going to be able to tell it about nobody but him. Right? That's why, you know, I used to talk to Christian people. They'd be like, glory to God. Everything you said, I'd be like, shut up. Now, you talk to me, I'd be like, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory, glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. Because I'm like, what else am I going to say? I'm like, don't give me the compliment. Glory to God. You get where I'm coming from? That's it. All right, real quick. I'm going to push through this stuff kind of fast really quick. So let's talk about complaining. What is complaining? Express dissatisfaction or annoyance about a state of affairs or an event. To express grief, pain, discontent. To make a formal accusation or charge and state that one is suffering from pain or symptoms of illness. So I just want to make sure before we go into this that you understand when I'm talking about complaints, I'm not talking about lodging a complaint where you need to handle something. That needs to happen sometimes, and that needs to happen even in the church. And we need to make room and grace for that, for people to be able to declare, hey, this is off or this is wrong. We're talking about disgruntled, sinful complaint, murmuring, complaining, all of those other type of things, right? Things that cause disputes and divisiveness, dissension, right? That's what we're talking about. So on the heels of speaking about Christian humility, right, in Philippians 2.14, Paul says this. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering, offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, also you should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul Starts off, he says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. And then he actually weighs that on the side of being children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You would think he would say something else. I think we're nonchalant about grumbling and complaining. I don't know about you, but I am. But when I read this, when I was working on this or whatever, like I had to drop to my knees and repent because I'm like, I don't put the weight on this. But he's like, yo. This, this is heavy. God has a disdain for grumbling and, and disputing. It's anti everything he's trying to do in the body of Christ. It's anti his mission, right? And out of it flows, you have, you have gossip and slander and lying and all of these different things, right? But then he says, so God's will for us is this. It's, it's that we would be blameless and innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, that we would shine as lights in the world, that we would hold fast to the words of life. The reason it says that part holding fast to the word of life, words of life in this conversation, word of life, is exactly what I said from the very beginning. Go with the word. He's saying don't have any gray areas. Because if you have a gray area, you would think that complaining and grumbling and disputing is just what you do. But if you look to the word, just like we're doing this morning, you land on stuff like this where you be like, oh, that's not okay. It's really, really not okay. Right? And if I don't want to see God as the big bad judge, but I want to see him as my father and I want to please him and look forward towards that day, I need to care about what he cares about. And I need to trust him as the potter that he knows what he's talking about. So, God, I'm going to actually lean into establishing myself. As the day is coming, looking to eternity, 
by taking very weighty, taking on the weight of what your word says. I want to stand before you without blemish. I do want to shine as a light in this generation because I want to see people I know saved. I want them to come to Christ, right? I remember not to, I remember when I had my store downtown, when I first moved in the store, um, they, you know, I wanted to do this design on the floor in the store. And so the building owners, they came to me and they were like, hey, listen, um, we're going to actually do the floors for you. We're going to get the paint and everything else. And to be honest with you, I really felt like it was some old, like whatever stuff, like I felt like they thought I was incompetent to do it and do it well. Um, and so they took it and they did it. I was like, cool, you're paying for it? So be it. Go for it. All right. We'll take the, we'll take the oppression today. It'll be fine. All right. <laughs> so, so they came in and they did the floors and they actually mixed the paint wrong. So within a couple months, my floors were really, really sticky. And, and so I eventually had to come to them like, hey, you did the floors wrong. I need for you to cut a check and do it over again. And it turns into a really big issue. They bring somebody in to do the floors, and they messed up the floors, and it was so bad, they mixed the chemicals so bad, like the whole building, like all the floors had to be evacuated. All coming from my store, right? And so during this time, there was a lady that I was friends with that was one of the other business owners, and she wasn't a believer. She's actually an atheist. But you know, me and my family, we were, we, were getting, we were getting in a relationship with her. She even sent her, one of her kids to, to church here with us one time, and we were having some interesting conversations. And I remember that I would go and I would complain about this situation, and I was so, like my, my money was tight. I was trying to make that rent cut, right? And so while the shop is closed, I'm losing business, and I'm dealing with a business owner that's like, we don't care if you're making rent or not, whatever. We want every single dime. And I'm like, Homie, we're gonna, you're going to talk to my lawyer. I'm trying to play tough, but my pocket's like, you don't have tough money. Um, <laughs> what, what, what lawyer will you be calling, right? You know, so like, I'm like, I'm to the wallet. The wallet's like, shh, quiet, shut up. But I'm trying to throw this back. But like, at the, I, I, I just remember in the middle of all of this, I had this, this moment. And I remember it well because it hurt. But I just remember God kind of confronting me with the way I was acting and my complaining in the midst of it. Yeah, it was unjust and yeah, it was wrong, but I was, act I was acting like my God is not the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what I was actually modeling in front of her while I'm trying to give her the gospel, but acting like my God can't handle the situation. And it sure enough got handled, but man, I wish I would have conducted myself way different. I wish I would have walked in this boldness like, this is really messed up, but at the same time, I know God has this, and, we'll, and let her watch him do what he does. Do you get where I'm coming from? But I went kicking and screaming. I was in the gray area where my God is awesome, but oh my God, I'm going to lose everything, and I was in the middle of all of that. That's what I'm talking about. We got to kill a gray area, and look, let's establish ourselves in the Lord and what he's calling us to, Right? Romans 8 says, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, for them that are who are called according to his purpose. So it's not for whom he did not. So I'm sorry, I'm messing this up going too fast. My sermon is crazy long and I'm trying to hurry it up. All right. Let me start from the beginning. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for them that love God, for them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be um, conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. 
what shall we then say to these things? Listen to this statement, people. If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also freely give us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul is making big of God's sovereignty in our lives, right? Like, I don't know about you, but there's nothing else in the world I've ever attached the, the word predestination to, like the Bible does, right? So, like, in my mind, I'm trying to just comprehend this idea and this concept of you're telling me before my mom had me, before the world, before Jesus came and was on the cross, that God actually had me in mind. That, that, that's hard to comprehend, right? Do you agree with that? There's nothing I, I, I've even ever attributed a thought to like that besides when I see it inside the Bible. Paul is trying to blow their minds with how secure they are in God, in Christ, Jesus. That's what he's doing. I just want to ease back from it so you don't get caught in all the details. He's trying to mess their whole head up. And he says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Yo, homie, before you could even walk, talk, anybody, you, the whole entire earth, God was already in this story already. So if he's rolling with us like that, who could be against us? Right? Who, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna check us, boo? That's what he's, who's going to check us, boo? You get what I'm saying? Like he wants my daughter to be like at the crib, just standing on the tables, just eating popsicles. And she'd be like, what you going to do? I don't even mess with her. Because I'd be like, get down. She'd be like, just chilling, like dancing and stuff. God wants us to walk around like that. Like, who going to check us? What you going to do with us? In the midst of suffering, he wants you to be like, what you going to do? We going to get rich off this suffering. God's going to use it for his glory. Even if I'm messing up right now and I'm, I'm sloppy with it, he's going to use that to, to, to convict my heart and increase me and grow me. We bulletproof. I'm just saying. Romans 5 says this. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Looking up the street. Now look, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. He's talking about the present. So he's looking up the street. This hope we have is sure. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Suffering produces. Right? The suffering produces. Grab that and hold on to it. Don't let it fly by you this morning. It actually produces. It's not something where you just say, ouch. It's not something that's your bumper your bumper rails for when you run from something. Oh, this hurts. I'm a, nope, this is too much. That's not it. It's like when my man called me, how do you do this? Only God. When it starts to feel like, oh, I need to run from this, 
that's the sweet spot. That's when you go, God, I can't go forward. I got to give this over to you. Right? And as a child of God, you go, and is this where you want me to be? Because I will stay in the midst of this war if this is the war you've called me to. And trust on you. This is where it stops being about you, and it's all about his power and his strength. That's the sweet spot. This is where a Christian moves forward triumphantly. This is where his glory is being shown when you get to the end of you. And he does that through suffering. Look at it. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. We will never be suckers for the suffering we endure. Maybe the world will mock you and say you're a fool because you hang with those people. You roll with those kind of people. You know they're just going to rob you and take advantage of you, right? Maybe you'll feel like a fool because you keep putting your heart down just to get it stomped on over and over and over again. But I promise you there is no injustice you will face personally that even slightly compares to the injustice that landed on Christ Jesus on the cross. And that was your sin and my sin that put him up there. And he was actually righteous. Big future, big Jesus, big holy, perfect Jesus dying on the cross for our wretched sins. Let all that stuff sandwich you right in the middle of this story. And then start working through your complaints and see how crazy they are then. We're filthy rich. We're filthy rich. I'm going to jump past some of my stuff to bring us to an end. James 1, I'm just going to read a piece of this because I just want to make the point to you. And James 1, he says this. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes and the dispersion, greetings. See, he says, starts off with a servant of God. That's one of the things we need to change, right? We all want to lead, but it's servant. So two, verse 2, he says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Right? So the trials are producing something, right? And he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says, if any of you lack, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with, that, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is double-minded man, unstable in, his, in all his ways. This is the point I'm making to you. This is why we have to do Christian versus disciple. Because there's no room for the cultural Christianity, the double-mindedness that kind of is halfway in, halfway out. I'm not saying that you earn your righteousness. I'm saying that if we are actually called to the mission of God, let's go for it and let's go for it well. Because of what he's done on the cross for us, right? Like if it's really landing on us and it's really pressing out this spirit where we want to serve and we want to follow like, God, what does it look like to take on your mission? What does it look like to share in your suffering? If we're really asking that for real, and it's not something we just say out loud because it feels very Christian to say it, but we actually are talking about not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let me just keep going. But it's, it's dealing with that doubting. That's what it's dealing with when he's saying that, when he's talking about being tossed in the wind. If you're halfway in, halfway out, you're going to get smacked around. 
He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast on the trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. When it says those who love him. God's love is synonymous with suffering. You can't get it without suffering. To actually be giving suffering is a gift from God. It is a mark from God. Because his love for us cost his son dying a brutal, bloody death on the cross. The other little cute thing or whatever is for Hallmark cards. Right? And that's a piece of it. It's beautiful. All of that stuff is beautiful, but it's suffering. If you're a parent, raising a child is suffering because you're giving up your time and your energy and all type of stuff, right? And I don't know what my son has in his pampers. I don't know what that stuff is, but it's, I'm suffering, all right? It's suffering. If you're going to have a friendship and you're not going to do this surface flattery type friendship where you just bump knuckles every now and then, but you're going to get in each other's life, it's going to be suffering. If you want to get married, suffering, hey, right? Both ways. It just is what it is. It's the most beautiful thing ever, and it's completely worth it. It's completely worth it. But it involves suffering. Because it's going to be you learning that whatever fairy tale you told about your mate is just not true. They're human. They're human. They're human. It is what it is, right? They're human. But love fights and it contends. So when we step in this beautiful thing that God has done, it's going to be a war. It's going to be a fight. I'm going to say this verse right here or whatever. And the battery on my computer right now is at 2%. So if it cuts off, I'm going to freestyle the rest of the scripture, all right? 2 Corinthians 1. I'm just playing. I'm not going to do that, all right? Take, take this scripture and let this... Bring it together in your heart, everything we talked about this morning. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Listen to this right here. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we are abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope is for you. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Paul goes on to basically give them a, a, an example. He says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Came to his end. He said, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So he's not turning back at this moment. He's not. And he's exactly what I just told you. He came to his end. 
now, now we see God stepping, right? He says he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You're going back for more pain, Paul? You enjoy pain? You enjoy suffering? He enjoys seeing the Father show his strength. He enjoys getting more and more engulfed in the fact that God is real and true and near in the time of peril. He enjoys being able to walk through the valley of the, dado, uh, valley of the shadow of death and not try to walk along the sides and all that, but walk straight through it because he knows that, his, that God is faithful because he knows he's a child, that he knows the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sure. Okay. All right. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. We're going to stop right there. Let me pray real quick. God, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just praise you, Father, Lord. We worship you. Father, we lift up your holy name, God. Father, we thank you that you would bring us to your word this morning, Father. We pray, we thank you, Father, Lord, that you would land truth on our doorstep, not because we are good, but because you are good, Father, Lord. Father, I, I, I pray for all the people in this room right now that may be experiencing condemnation instead of conviction. I pray, Father, Lord, that you would grace them to understand, Father, Lord, that you've landed this word on them today because you actually love them. You're like a father who loves when their kid walks in the light and tells the truth because you're like, I'm, I'm with you. We're going to walk this thing out together, and you're covered. Nobody can remove the fact that I'm your daddy. You're not an orphan. You're not a visitor here. I'm your father, and you are my son, and you are my daughter. So, God, I pray, Father, Lord, if anything happens in this room today, that you will let us believe that truthfully and let us walk and live in that functionally every day. I pray, Father, Lord, that that would be so sweet to us that we would actually lavish it all over people. I pray, Father, Lord, that we would engage in scenarios, Father, Lord, that in our flesh would seem like, man, this is the type of thing you should run from. But we would say, hey, Daddy, is that what, what I need to know my orders. Do I need to go knee deep in this thing right here? Because I know if I do, even though it's going to be heavy, you're going to be with me in it. Is this something that you want to repair the breach in? Is this something that's broken you want to redeem? Have you called me into this marvelous work? God, I pray that you would do that in our heart, Father Lord, that we would, that we would render ourselves as clay in your hands. None of us are good in this. None of us can lay claim to this. This is the type of thing that only you can do in our hearts. And it's a gift for us, Father Lord. So we walk in our light, in the light, and confess our sin and our need for you to do that work continually in us, Father Lord, for your glory, not for ours. I do come up short, and I do want comfort, and I do not want to take on heavy stuff. It's not our virtue. It's not our goodness. It's yours, Lord. So we pray, Father, Lord, for the blessing of being drawn near, drawn into the light, being strengthened, finding you in the midst of our suffering, finding comfort in the midst of suffering, finding truth, finding that you are faithful so we can lavish that truth on other people, Father, Lord. 
So I praise you and I thank you for that, Father Lord. Help us, Father Lord, to not make ourselves more important than this picture we're in, Father Lord. Help us to watch our mouths with how we complain and gossip against each other. How we complain and gossip about our circumstances, Father Lord, and act as if you're just a little, little God in the story. Like you don't really have power in it. Like you, like you can't shape us up and hold us down, Father Lord. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for that, Father Lord. And we know that you do. We, we know that you do because we know because of what you've done in Jesus, Father Lord, that you already looked dead in the face of all our ugly, rotten sins, the ones in the light and the ones hidden. You looked at all of them and you still sent your son to cover our sins that we could walk as children who have inherited the, the gift of righteousness, but at a heavy, heavy expense that was not paid for by us, Lord. So we praise you for that. Father, I pray for anybody in this room who has been struggling with this idea of the gospel and, 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 and their disdain with church and what they see. I completely get where they're coming from. But God, Father Lord, you're better than us, Father Lord. You're the truth. You're the truth, Father Lord, and you're doing a work inside of us. But I pray that you would do a work inside of that person's heart and you would draw them, Father. I pray that you would draw them. I pray that you would move in their heart. And bring them to you, Father Lord, and that they would join our family, that they would be able to take communion with us and celebrate that your body was broken for our sins, Father Lord, that they would that you bled on our behalf, Father Lord, that our iniquities would be removed and that we could be brought into fellowship with you, Father. So we salute you today because you are true and you are holy and you are faithful. And we thank you, Father Lord, that you've targeted us with your goodness and your love. And I pray that if there's anybody here that has a wall in front of them, trying to keep them from entering in, whether it's embarrassment, whether it's shame, any of that, I declare to them, join the club. We got rap sheets a mile long. Come join the club. We will rejoice with you. We will rejoice with you. Nobody in here has it together. We're saved by grace, by God's goodness. So we praise you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.